Welcome to Unbreakable Spirit, stories of inspiring and thriving with Jennifer Seven, co-author of a book that is part of the Sisterhood Folios, a number one international bestseller. This is a podcast about real women who've overcome tremendous obstacles and come out on the other side to thrive. Whether their hardships were financial, relational, or health, these women dug deep and found the light out of the dark to rise from the ashes, to find the ability to forgive, to love, and to live an authentic, joyful life. Now, here is your host, Jennifer Seven. Good morning, everyone. I am very excited to have a special guest today. I have Jill Perla here. And let me just tell you a little bit about Jill. She is an internationally collected award-winning artist, a former vice president of finance, former manager of a large scientific meeting, experienced high-tech sales executive, board member, and vice president of a networking organization. Jill brings a unique perspective and shows us how to have creative wins in all aspects of life. And there is so much more to Jill that I'm sure as we get into this conversation that you all will learn about her. She's pretty amazing. And I love how she's gone from this very high-powered executive to this amazing artist. So we're going to dig in here with Unbreakable Spirit. We're going to hear Jill's story and let you know what she's been through to get her where she is today. So good morning, Jill, and welcome. Thank you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for having me. You are welcome, and I'm excited that you're here. So let's let's go back in time and let's yeah. find out the beginning of your journey and We'll go forward and see where it gets us. Sure, that sounds fun. So I'm an artist now. And as you said, I used to be working in DC full time as, oh, as you said, an executive. And it was funny when I heard your voice say, high powered executive, your, your tone sounded even almost like heavier, like, oh, you know, <laughs> and then when you said artist, it sounded lighter, lighter. <laughs> and that's exactly the reason I got into this is because while I thoroughly loved working in DC and, you know, the hustle and bustle, I loved all that. It just started to get really heavy. And it was like with two kids, my husband, he was in the military as a reservist, but he was in Iraq twice. So it was, it was a lot, but just let's, I guess we should probably rewind all the way into how in the world I even got into art. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. Cause it's such an interesting story. Yeah. So when I was little, this, I'm saying elementary school, that very impressionable age, I mm -hmm. took art classes with my sister. Now I've got, there's five kids in my family and my sister is special needs. And she used to always have to do extra curricular activities to kind of help her along. You see, she was born a rebella child. And for anybody who knows what that is, my mom had German measles when she was pregnant with my sister. Oh my goodness. Yes. So Tracy, she was born hard of hearing in one ear, completely deaf in the other ear, blind in one eye, and aphasia, had aphasia, which is sometimes like if people have strokes, and I'm not a medical professional, but aphasia is when the messages go in, they understand it, but they can't quite get the message back out 
to have you understand what it is, right? So, so communications, difficult, yes. really difficult. Very difficult. So you take that and mix it in with somebody who can't hear mm. and blend that into a family growing up in, you know, the 60s and 70s when they were really pushing back then the medical professionals to have all of us become the same, for lack of a better word. Sign language was, it was there, but they wanted her to integrate with us. So they didn't want the family to learn sign language. So it was compounded and my parents did the best they could. And they said, okay, well, we're gonna really force her to understand what we're saying, which you can imagine the difficulties it was to have her be say at the dinner table and trying to explain something and getting very frustrated. Oh, I was just going to say <laughs> the frustration must have been for her and for you guys, because yes. a lot of patience required, right? Yes. Patience. And it's, it's funny because let's, let's look at the pecking order. You know, that always in the family, there's always a certain like family order. So there are five of us, same parents, but my two brothers are 10 years older than me. They, for, the, for some reason, they thought it'd be a great idea to start, you know, have the two. And then they said, well, let's have a few more. Oh, <laughs> <You> gosh. <laughs> yeah. So it was my two brothers, then Tracy, and then I was un, right under her. So it was almost like two sets of families within the family, just two sets of kids. So I was basically the middle and I was the helper. I was the mm -hmm. peacemaker. I was the one who always wanted to fix things. There's always one of those. That was my yeah, that, role. That was me. I was the yeah. middle child, always the peacemaker, always the negotiator. Yes. yes. So I was the one, um, I would be the one going to art classes, for example, with Tracy. I was the one who would sit in front of the TV at night, you know, back then when they had the rabbit ears <laughs> and there was no closed caption she would be looking at, say, the Brady Bunch and had no idea what was going on. So I would have to tell her what was going on in the show. So I couldn't sit there and just, you know how kids just sit and stare at the TV and just get completely immersed. It was always a very active scenario for me. And it wasn't really relaxing. It was more like, oh, great. Now I have to be the one who has to explain it, right? This is your, your job in the family. Yeah. This is my job. So there, there was resentment. And as much as, you know, you want to be bigger than that, when you're a kid, you're like, you know what, this is annoying. I, you know, I don't want to mm -hmm. do it. You mm -hmm. did it anyways, because that that's what you just did. But, you know, as I got older, I, I just was just so frustrated growing up because I felt like I wasn't paid attention to because all the attention went to her. And you were the middle child. <laughs> and I was the middle child. And I just had that way of just letting things go. And I was very easy, kind of like it just rolled off my back. And so for years, I would just say, oh, it's fine. It's, you know, it, it's fine. You know, that don't worry about me because that's what I was programmed. There was, mm -hmm. there was no care or worry about me. Not that my parents were neglectful. They were just busy. The doctor said Tracy was basically like having 11 kids oh. in one kid, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, but, and then, you know, as I'm talking, I don't want anybody to think that I'm cold because I'm so blessed and so thankful for how I grew up because I learned a lot. And I also appreciate 
sound. I appreciate sight like more than, than probably other people because I know what it's like to not have that. And because of the some of the lessons I learned with Tracy growing up, I can say the same sentence six different ways. <laughs> <laughs> and one of those will get through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's, it's funny when I hear people like say somebody is from a foreign country and they don't understand something and somebody just starts yelling louder. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. You can't hear me, obviously. So I'm just going to yell. <laughs> right. Until you get it. <laughs> exactly. Or as we get older, whether it be selective hearing or not, I think people don't hear their spouses sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, oh, maybe don't say it the same way six different times, say it a different way, and it might be received better, right? Yes, yes. So that's one thing I learned from growing up with Tracy a lot of patience. And I also, it's funny when I was younger, um, going to these art classes with her, I was told at this young age in elementary school that some people are meant to do landscapes and beautiful things. And other people are meant to do circles and squares and triangles. Jill, you're a circles and square and triangle person. Yeah, that would be me. <laughs> Stick figures. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was basically a, a stab in the heart back then. I thought, okay, oh. well, you know what? This is Tracy's deal. She's going to be the artist. You know, you had to get your labels. It wasn't for me. And so I even found when I went to the classroom, I hated school. Just growing up, just for the record, I hated school. I was terrified of school. I did not want to go to school. I was very much an introvert. I would be the kid who would hang on to my mom's coat and she'd have to like rip me off of her to get me into the classroom. Was, it, was that because you were, you were really shy? Is that yes. or what? Yeah. Very shy. And so when the art classes happened in school, that was almost even worse for me because if you can remember back in your elementary school age, like the building's big, there's lots of smells, there's chaos and I did not like the art classroom at all. It was overwhelming to me. So it just kind of kept the whole, like, don't be an artist or have nothing mm -hmm. to do with art perpetuated over the years. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really just blocked that. And my dad and I are very, very close and very much alike. He's very busy, much, very much a high powered executive. So I thought, okay, well, creativity is not going to be my jam. I'm going to follow along in my dad's footsteps. So I thought, you know, he's great at business. So I'm just going to dive into business. And it's, it's funny. I repressed a lot of things growing up. A lot of the things that could have and could have made me happy growing up. And I found myself repressing so much that I actually passed out a lot. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So starting at age 11, I, like in order for me to cope, I would pass out. I just couldn't take the, the stress or the pressure anymore. So the first time I passed out was in church. We were like, my dad was a minister years and years ago. And after that, he went to Harvard. He got a double major and he became a high powered exec. So he yeah. went from being a pastor minister to being an executive, which is a huge 
That is a huge difference. Right. So we kind of did the same sort of thing. He, I was an executive and then I became an artist. So it's, it's funny that the, the parallels there, but back to church, he was, he was a minister. And at that time he wasn't preaching, but I was in the back. We had gotten to church late and it was really hot. And I, I fell over the, the pew in front of us. And oh. my mom thought I was looking for something. And my brother oh, no. was like, oh, no, no, mom. She, she, so he scooped me up and there he, he whisked me out. And she thought I was looking for something, and, which makes me laugh now. Cause I'm like, what would I be like rooted yes. around? <laughs> yes. Or Tip, tipped over. <laughs> exactly like Jill sit down sit down exactly exactly and I I've passed out oh gosh I've stopped passing out thank you very much and I'll tell you a bit about that but I've even passed out in a grocery store slid under the cart I've passed out in a city street in Boston the subway so do you do you have any idea that it's coming or it just bam and you're out it's it's pretty much bam and you're out it it you can start feeling, I don't know if anybody, you know, passing out is to me horrible on so many levels, because I don't know if you've ever passed out, Mm-mm. but it's, it's just this aura comes over you and you're like, Oh, I'm going down. I'm going down. And you have smelling salts, but who wanders around with smelling salts all the time, right? Uh-huh. But and that, was- that you could quickly get them out and smell them before you go down. Exactly. You know, my mom was always like, well, just bend over and put your head between your knees. I'm like, you know what? It's not going to work. So that was a real coping mechanism because when I felt overwhelmed and it wasn't even necessarily being in a situation, it was just built up overwhelm over a year or two that I just wasn't able to process like normal people who's normal, right? But I wasn't able to process things because I had to shove it back down so much because all the attention was paid on my sister growing up and just having a family of five kids. Just, you know, you're just, there is no time. And, Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to add to the stress of, you know, so I just took it upon myself and that was definitely not healthy. Well, I was just thinking that you could have been the child that was the rebellious acting mm-hmm. out to get more attention than your sister, but she went the other way and you just said, okay, I'm going to be the invisible one. Really? Yes. And that's, that's such an interesting way to put it invisible because I carried a lot of weight around a lot of weight because I didn't want to be seen. So it's almost like I didn't physical, want to be physical weight. We're talking. Physical. Yes. Physical weight. And then also early, early on something traumatic happened to me sexually that I didn't want to be seen not only within the family, but outside the family. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I wanted just to be able to walk in and do whatever I needed to do, but not be seen. If I could have been an invisible human, I would have been happy. For uh, I understand that it's not uncommon for people to put that weight on as that protective barrier. I don't want to be seen. I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be violated. I want to be left alone. (laughs) Yes. And it was, it was until I want to say when I was in my late forties, early fifties, that I finally, it clicked with my weight. And I was like, I don't care anymore. I'm just gonna, it, it just, it kind of fell off. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was a bit intentional about it, but I think 
it's funny when it comes to weight, people have so little idea, and I know you understand this, being in the business that you're in, that it's such a mind game. It mm -hmm. really is a mindset. And I say game, not lightly, but it's going to come off when it's, when you're ready mm -hmm. and nobody can force you into it. You it's, it's an inside game is basically what I'm saying. And, Very much so. Very you know, much. and I, you don't know what's going on in people's minds. And if they're carrying extra weight, a lot of times it's because they, they're struggling. They don't want to be seen. There's something deeper there that they just don't want to share. And my heart bleeds for them. And, and I, all I can say is that if you're in a situation where you feel like invisible, you're not being seen, go to therapy, go to counseling, find a life coach, do something. If, cause sometimes it's hard to get outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, you have to have that dialogue with somebody. I and, was and go ahead. I was going to say, Jill, were you able to do that? You got yourself some help. Yeah. So my junior year in high school, I it's most kids in high school love it. I hated high school because I was like, wait, I've got to, I've got to graduate and actually go to college and leave the house. <laughs> yeah. So my whole junior and senior year, I was basically panic stricken because my family's very big into education. And I was like, I don't, I don't want to go to school, but that's what everybody's doing. So I went to counseling and that helped. So I've been in and out of counseling, you know, over the years, which I, I think, I really think anybody and everybody, even if you think everything's grand, just unearth some of that stuff. I'd like layers. to meet, I'd like to meet someone who has just perfect life. I don't right. think it exists. It doesn't exist. And so that's all that with all the, the repressed stuff. It, I was, it was probably 2010. I think it was when my dad, he, he had Alzheimer's. He started getting early onset dementia and Alzheimer's because he had lots and lots of heart attacks because he worked so much. He traveled oh, so much. Wow. There he right. was in this, this, he got this double major. He's this high power yes. executive and yes. it's hurting him physically. Yes. So at age 45, he, he had these, his first heart attack at 45. And then he just progressively got, you know, had some more heart attacks after that and little strokes, mini TIAs, mm -hmm. so those little strokes. And so he was at day away camp, art camp. And it was so funny because he was taking art and music and all the things to help with his with mind. His brain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when he was painting and drawing, he's really good. And I looked at it and I thought, gosh, he and I are so similar. I don't know, but I feel like I might want to pick up a paintbrush and give it a whirl. And I, I honestly, I did. And it was, it, it just hooked me. It just absolutely, I got that paintbrush in my hand and I couldn't stop. And it was almost this release of years yes. of holding back. And I was like, wait a second, I like this. And I sold my first piece of art like six months after I started. And I was like, oh my gosh, somebody actually wants to buy my art. <laughs> And That's fat, wonderful. Yeah, it was, it was just amazing. I took a couple little classes here and there at, you know, like the torpedo factory, those sort of places. And just to kind of see what it was all about. And I was, again, I was working in my 
working full time in DC, my husband had been deployed twice to Iraq. And the first time my daughter was five and the second time I was pregnant. And so I, he was gone while I had my second child all by myself. And that was, that was crazy experience right there. Talk about being alone and, and no family nearby to be. No, no. And that's, that's interesting too. Our family kind of is spread up and down the East coast, New York, Mm -hmm. Florida. So you know, with a lot of families, everybody's kind of spread out. So it was basically me and I, you know, I got my best friend and she came and it was a, a C-section. And I remember he was, my husband, it was February when I had her, he was in Iraq and he had a satellite phone with him. And he said, listen, have the doctor call me on my satellite phone when the baby comes and I said, okay, okay. And you know, you're delirious. So you know, you're giving the doctor this phone number ahead of time. Like here's this little scratch piece of paper. And so he kept trying to call him and he kept missing him because he's, oh. you can imagine he's out in the middle of nowhere. Oh my goodness. Um, so he missed him a couple of times. So it was, it was one of those things that you're so thrilled to have a healthy, happy baby, but so like lonely at the same time. And, yeah, like, sad and, and lonely. Like I want to share this with my husband and we can't even right. reach him. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it was, it, it was funny because when I was in the hospital recovering from the C-section, I remember really hurting and it was hurting in my shoulder and I was laying there. I was like, this is just weird. I can't complain about this because that was me. You don't complain. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I was like, why in the world would my shoulder hurt when I had a C-section? <laughs> right, that's the wrong body part. <laughs> I was like, it, this doesn't make sense. So I just kept like kind of shoving it under the rug, just like I always do and holding it back. And finally, I hit the call button to the nurse. And we were told growing up, don't ask for things. Don't- oh, yes, this was my Yes. We never, you don't go to the doctor unless you're practically dead. You know, yes, <laughs> you yes. don't complain, just suck it up and move on. <laughs> yes. So, you know, my arm must've felt like it was falling off at that point. And so the lady came in, the nurse came in and she's like, Oh, well, that's just like one of those little bubbles, I guess, that come through when you've, you know, got IVs and you've got, you know, you've got, oh, it just, great. so it was like an air bubble. And oh, I'm wonderful. Like, oh, okay. I've got an air bubble in my arm and, you know, she gave me some medicine for it. So it was great, but it's just an, another interesting reflection on shoving your feelings down and not letting them out. Yes. And Cause you didn't want to bother them. They're busy. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to this day, I always have to say, stop and think, you know, do, do I need to advocate for myself? And I've got two girls who are now 21 and um, about to be 17. And I say to them, advocate for yourself, always advocate for yourself. It's not being pushy. It's not being unpleasant. It's if you need something, say something, don't just suffer because it's going to make it worse in the end. You know? and that is such a powerful message for our daughters. Mm-hmm. Daughters, sons, yes, sons too, because I think, I mean, I don't have a son, but I think so many times they're even told, well, you don't want to look weak. You don't mm. want to look like a yeah, baby. man up, man up. Yes. Yes. Man up. And it just, it gives me chills and makes me sad. And it's not being weak to ask for help. It really isn't. And 
I mean, I think I probably say this to them every other week advocate in school. Like if you're, Mm -hmm. if you're struggling in school, why are you just going to sit there with a bad grade when you can go to the teacher who wants to help you? They love Mm -hmm. interacting. They want to help you. So go reach out. And, and, and the more you reach out, the more you realize you're not alone. And that's pretty huge too. That's very important for people to realize you don't have to be alone. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be alone. And so I, it's funny when I started painting, I thought, you know what? I love my job. I love working in DC. I just love it. But I had two small children mm-hmm. and they were getting older. I probably quit in 2010, 2011, right after I picked up that paintbrush. I said, you know, I'm going to give this a whirl. And I, because I had the business side and me, I said, you know what, I'm going to join some networking groups. And mm-hmm. I joined a bunch of networking groups and I started and I, I seemed, I'm sure people looked at me and thought, what is this woman doing? She's joining a networking group as an artist. And I'm like, yeah, why not? You got to not? People, right? <laughs> and it, it's funny because I know a lot of artists today. And if I could give any artists out there some advice, get out and network and treat your your art like a business. Don't just paint and let it hang on your walls. You've got to sell it. So you got to get out there and move it. And to move it, you got to meet people. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm not, I'm not the best artist in the world, but that's, that's how it's worked. Is it because I'm out there communicating with people and engaging with people and talking with people. And that's really what it's all about. And ever since I started painting, I've, I've, become much more of an extrovert. I'm definitely an introvert, but through the art, it's taught me to let go of things and not worry so much. And I find the more I meet people, and I'm sure in the business you're in too, Jennifer, the you just get a chance to see that everybody's in this messy life and trying to figure things out and no one's perfect. So why, why worry about it? Yeah, that's, that's an excellent perspective on it. You know, it's, it's life is messy and it's okay. It's okay. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be perfect. No, no. And growing up, I always thought that I was, um, everybody would say because I was so low key and easygoing, they didn't think I was a type A personality. And it finally dawned on me, I am a type A personality when it comes to relationships. I am very concerned about people and their feelings and making sure they're okay and working with people. But when it comes to my job, I'm a perfectionist with air quotes. I'm more of a, hey, it's going to be fine. It's not a big deal. It's the relationships I'm worried about. It's not yeah, so the the painting goes a little off kilter. It's that's not what life's about. It's about the person receiving the art. Happy with it. That right? is beautiful. It's it's like you learned how to let go, mm-hmm. and and then it just is it creates. It comes out. In, yes, and it, listeners, her art is beautiful, and we'll we'll talk more about how you can see her art and everything as we get a little further in the conversation. But it is beautiful. Thank you. Beautiful. And you would never think that, I mean, oh, well, I guess now you've been painting quite some time, but, mm-hmm. but you haven't been painting your entire life because it's just beautiful. 
No, and that's it, and that's it's funny because I, and this will tie back in a second. Out of all the family members, even my sister Tracy, every single one of them were probably A B students, like honor roll, dean's list, all graduated from college with all the highest honors. Did I graduate? Nope. I I skidded out with three and a half years of college because that's all I could handle. But I actually did better in business than all of them because I was scrappier and I was, mm -hmm. you know, I, I wanted it more and I was trying to prove something. And I kind of feel like that's the way I am with the art. I'm, I'm, I'm scrappy and I want to, I want to do different things and stay ahead of the curve. And I think that's kind of where, um, the arts helped me. It's helped me to let go and it's helped me show people how to let go through the art as well. Mm -hmm. Well, let, and I'd like to go back for just a little bit to, to yeah. this childhood that you had. Yes, and yeah. I was thinking about the, you probably learned amazing communication skills through yeah. what you had to do with your sister, because you were the communicator. You were almost a translator. Absolutely. Yes. Absolute interpreter, translator, all of it. And I'm now I'm so thankful for it. I'm so thankful for it because if I hadn't had that experience, I, I feel like I would have been your typical, how do I say it? I feel like so many people are hurried and just, just want to brush past things and not consider it. And they're not thoughtful in their communication sometimes. And that is devastating because they don't think of how things can be received. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm perfect by any means, but I do think that there's something about communicating what you want to say in different ways. And that just reversing a sentence structure <laughs> can completely, or the tone in which you say something can completely have that thing land differently. Or learning the, that sandwich effect. Like if you got something bad to tell somebody, <laughs> I, I learned you give them something good on the front end and the back end and right in that middle, you give them the meat. <laughs> you know? right. Yes, that's, that's definitely one of those corporate skills we learn when doing uh, employee yeah. feedback, right? <laughs> yes. And, it, you know, I think with Tracy, um, my other family members, my brothers being so much older than me, they, they had their own things to deal with, but they had kind of skated out of it. So there was resentment that they were able to just kind of grow up and move on. And they were in college and doing their life while I was still in it. And I was like, wait a second, this isn't fair. <laughs> no. You know, what, what am I doing here? And my younger sister, she participated as I did in terms of communicating, but I felt like it was me because of my personality. She was more the rebel and I was more the peacekeeper. And in trying to fix things, I did also learn a really bad thing that I thought, well, if I can fix this, I can fix anything. So every guy I dated, I thought, oh, hell, I can fix them. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know so you're we fixable. I'll fix you. Yeah, you could yeah, work, I, but I got to fix you first. <laughs> I was married when I was, gosh, I want to say 26, 
for six months I was married. So that was, it was very short lived, but I, I always said he was my science project. And I even <laughs> said that to my dad, you know, looking back now that I've got kids, I'm like, you called your then boyfriend, fiance, then husband, your science project. And I always said that because of like, I can fix them. I know I can fix them. Uh-huh. He's not quite there, but we, we, we can work this out. <laughs> I just communicate a little differently. I could get him where I need him to be. Exactly. And then that I, I quickly learned, not quickly, I should say, I, it took me some years after that, you know, after we divorced, it was six months and no kids or anything like that. So I almost like, it's almost like a blip on the radar. It was almost like we we're dating, but you know, uh-huh. it just didn't work out. But I learned that, and this is something I tell my girls two things, advocate for yourself, play your own role. You can't play somebody else's role in the relationship. You can only play your role. You can't, if you want to date somebody and you think they need to be fixed, run the other direction because you're not fixing them and they don't need to be fixed. That That's who they are. And that's the beauty of it. You're who you are. They're who they are. And then the second you start going in there, becoming manipulative, as it were, and trying to fix things, that's when things get dicey. But learning when I was little, I thought, oh, well, I felt almost in charge because I was the communicator. I was the interpreter. I was Mm -hmm. the one fixing things. So, you know, naturally I grew up thinking, oh, I'm like a puppet master, right? I can, I can do all this. And then you quickly realize that, oh, wait a second, they have their own brain, they have their own mind, just as Tracy did. And you can't, you can't fix everything and nor should you fix everything. So. Right. I think sometimes we think if I f- can just fix them, then I will be happy. Bingo. Yes. Bingo. You hit <laughs> the nail on the head. We have to learn to find our own happiness Yeah. without relying on that person. And happiness is so... I know, is it elusive? What is happy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's fleeting. I think joy is a little bit more like what's coming from within. And when you're doing something that gives you that joy, that adrenaline burst, like when I'm painting and it's you're in flow and it's working, there's that joy and you just want more of it. But I, I so agree that when you're busy, like being a mom, it, when you're busy, being a student, any age, and you're running around not reflecting, not thinking, not taking time, and blaming everybody else for everything, you you start resenting them, and you start getting mad at the world, and you start not looking at yourself because, gosh knows, you can't look at yourself. That would be that would hurt too much, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then when when you start looking at yourself, you're like, holy crap, what a mess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> You know, you look and you're like, wow, I've not sat and looked at myself and cared for myself because I think growing up, it it wasn't right to care for yourself. That was being selfish or self-centered. Oh, you are so right. I feel like we grew up in the same family. (laughs) Right? Because, and little girls need to be quiet, not heard, seen, but not heard. And uh, you had to squash everything about yourself or you were, like you said, you were selfish if you were trying Mm -hmm. to do something for yourself. And so it causes a lot of repression. 
and, and insecurity and not feeling good about yourself because you never mm-hmm. get to be uh, yeah. you, who and you really are. I was called sassy more than once. <laughs> and, sassy. And, and sassy. Sassy. <laughs> I like that. I like you. Right? Sassy. <laughs> now sassy is not a problem. And, and it's yeah. funny because now if somebody was, nobody would say sassy, they, it was just, it, it, there's downright rude. And then there's trying to give your opinion and your ideas. Right. And that's when I would be called sassy and <laughs> you just quickly realize that, Oh, I better be quiet. And that mm-hmm. is such a horrible message, especially to send to girls. And now I, one way, another piece of advice to give to parents of girls or boys, if you'll let them is walk with them. If you have a dog, it, there is something so powerful about walking with your child. I walk with my 21 year old all the time and I'm thankful she does online school. So she's around and when you're walking that act of just walking side by side, you, they start talking and you start mm-hmm. talking and the, it, the conversation flows. Sometimes when you're sitting in a chair and you're facing each other, it's, it's more in, in, intrusive, but if you're walking, it's just amazing what like starts to flower and come out. It's, it's brilliant. I just love it. And, and walking is so grounding for us. So that physical act of walking, that feet on the ground, touching the earth and being able to communicate at the same time is that's, I, I love that. I, I, you, you hear uh, about get your teen in the car and get yeah. them in the front seat or, and then driving somewhere that's they're they're stuck in the car with you and they might have to talk. <laughs> so that's, that's but true. I love the walking, the walk, getting, you know, and even getting outside, you're in nature. It's just so healthy. It's so healthy. It is. So let's go back to you are getting ready to go to college and for me, I couldn't wait to go to college because to me, it meant freedom. It meant getting out of my house, getting away from yeah. everybody. And so I was so super excited about that. But so you were terrified, but you went, you did it. I did. I, I did. I went to Simmons College in Boston and because we lived in Massachusetts. So it was about 30 minutes from the house. So did we you, were... did you live on campus or? Did yes. You okay. I did. And I moved in and I'll never forget, I like cried every single day because I was, Aww. I just didn't want to be there. Yeah. But I also, once I, I found a few people that I liked and some friends, I was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. I kind of like mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. And then of course I, I met a guy that went to MIT and that was the first guy I had ever like, you know, liked. And I thought, well, this is just amazing. And so things were going really, really well, but then my parents decided that would be a great time for them to get divorced. Oh <laughs> so my goodness. <laughs> they, they decided, well, before they did that, they moved, while I was in Boston in college, they, were, they decided to move to Virginia. And so that just made me very nervous. I was like, wait a second. I mean, oh, they're, they're leaving, the, they're leaving the me. State. Like, What's that? I was like, wait a second. I just started figuring this out. I'm 30 minutes away. My dad, he worked in Boston at the time. If I wanted to come home, he could drive me in on the Monday. And I thought, this is great. But they decided they were going to move to Virginia. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I can't handle this. So even though I was doing really well, I said, forget it. I gotta, I gotta move with them. 
because God knows they can't have a relationship together without me because uh-huh. <laughs> so, they had their own problems. So I was always having to manage oh, yeah, their you were relationship. fixing them. You were fixing, fixing them. them. And I was like, I can't have them move to Virginia by themselves. So I got to go with them. And so before they divorced, they, they moved. And so I moved with them and I went to George Mason and that's how I landed in Virginia. I went to school at George Mason and Shortly after they moved, it was obvious it just wasn't going to work anymore and they divorced. But yeah, so me going to college was scary because if you think about it, me growing up, we were almost held captive in a weird way with the family because I was so involved in helping and I didn't know anything other than me and my sister helping her and being in the family. So it's like, okay, so you, you used me all these years to interpret. Now you're just going to throw me to the wolves. I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything about college and being involved. What if I fail? I can't Mm -hmm. fail. You know, that was epic. (laughs) You don't fail in our family. That was Mm -hmm. probably another thing you probably grew up with. Failure is not an option. (laughs) There's no go out and experience it, give it a whirl, see how it goes. No, no, no gap year. No, none of that. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. You're going. Yes, you're going. So, so you, you got here, but then, then you somehow managed to get into this, this, these jobs. Yes. Yeah, even though I didn't graduate from college, I started out, I think I was just a natural networker, even at a young age, I I met a friend of mine, I was working as a waitress, and her mom worked at a place in Roslyn, Virginia, in Arlington, and they said they needed a receptionist. I'm like, I can do that. So I started out as a receptionist, and from there, I became a receptionist at another trade association, and I went from a receptionist to admin assistant. And then I moved all the way up the pecking order and was trained on the job and did everything on the job and moved from this association to the next. And association work was a beautiful thing for me because it was, I don't know if you know much about trade associations or societies. There's a lot of them are in DC and Alexandria, but as a woman, a lot of times there are a lot more, there's a lot more room for advancement. There are smaller teams. So you get to experience all sorts of different roles from helping with the bookkeeping or answering the phone or, you know, working in the mailroom. you get all sorts of experience or working on the, the annual meeting and the events. And if you're good at it, they'll promote you. And then getting my degree as I went while I was working, then you can get promoted even more. So that's, you know, that's, I just, I find it so interesting that there you were this extremely introverted girl Mm -hmm. who didn't want to be seen and you found your way all the way up into this really great job. I mean, you managed and you liked networking, which I thought was, wait a minute, (laughs) she was an introvert. How did you, isn't it weird? Turn it around. (laughs) It's, I think it's because for me, once I'm, it's almost like, I think everybody has a light switch inside of them. And once that switch is turned on, I'm not saying you become an extrovert overnight or anything like that, but if you're passionate about something enough, you're going to do what you need to do. Like there are certain, I mean, I love 
chat in one-on-one. I can chat one-on-one all day long. I can speak in front of a group, but I don't love small talk for small talk's sake. I want it to be a little bit more purposeful. And I think a lot of times people think I'm aloof or like what's going on inside of her head um, because I am so much in my head and I, I am very much an introvert. And whenever I do something, I'm an extroverted introvert. That's what I call myself. <laughs> I come home and I recharge because, whoa, that was a lot. You know? Yes, I, I feel that I'm very much the same way. And I've never decided if it's an introverted extrovert or an extroverted introvert, but I, yeah. I like my quiet time. I, that's how I like to recharge. Oh, I, but I like to go out to events and things, but not too many. But yeah. uh, I like yeah. being around people, but not every day. <laughs> no, no, me neither. But I think... I also am driven. I love money. I love money. And I love <laughs> that's goals. a good motivator. I, I mean, and anybody who says they don't, I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't get that. And I think that's healthy. And I think if there's, if you've got certain goals and, th- and things you want to attain, it's amazing what you'll do, whether you're an introvert or not. And you're mm-hmm. like, no, I, I, I've got this goal in order to get to this goal. I have to do the, this number of this. I need to do this num- this many of these. I need to do networking events. I need to do this. And it's really all calculations. And mm-hmm. it's a numbers game. Do you want to do the work? Put the work in. You reap the reward. If you want to sit back and not do much, that's fine too. But you're not maybe going to get to that goal that you put out there possibly. Mm-hmm. So, so let, let's talk about your art some more. So sure. tell us yeah. about these classes that you're doing. Oh, yes. So it all kind of comes full circle with the classes because I've done tons and tons of online classes lately because of COVID. But before COVID, I was doing corporate events, corporate art events, because I love team building. Uh, I was looking at your website. I was looking at some of those. Mm -hmm. That looks like so much fun. Oh, it's so much fun. I love it. And so that kind of brings the corporate into my art because I love getting like World Bank, Citibank, the Carter Center, all these big companies together and doing an art related event because it's a leveling event. It gets Mm. the CEO all the way down to the admin and receptionist on the same plane. Nobody's any better than anybody else. I like that. Love it. And that I'm very, I'm very just and fair person. So that to me is just like all about me. If I can get, I mean, I think everybody's equal. I don't care if you're the president of the United States, everybody's equal. And when you get them in this situation, it just enlightens me. But I was doing tons and tons of these art-related events for companies. I loved it. It was wonderful doing my commissions. But I thought, you know what? Let's think about doing something virtual. And this was December of 2019. Okay, pre-COVID. Yeah, pre-COVID. But for some reason, I was like really driven to like say, hey, I want to do some lessons online. So I, I, I started the creative kickstart group. So kickstart with A-R-T is the last you know, word because um, I want everybody to feel what I feel. When I paint, I feel alive. I feel rejuvenated. I feel like I can let go and nothing matters. And that's what I want other people to feel. Whether are they going to become Picasso working with me? Poof, probably not. Are they going to learn a lot of skills? Yes. Are they going to have fun? Absolutely. Are they going to sit down for an hour and everything washes away? It's like a therapy session because when you're painting with me, it's 
very difficult to think about something else. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think about the fact that the car needs to get its oil changed or the grass needs to be mowed. You're with me and only me, and I absorb everything and I bring you into the canvas and we paint together. And even though it's online, it's so amazing when people hold up their picture and they say, look what I just did. I, it, it, it just enlightens me and I, it delights me when I see that when I'm teaching them and they're able to receive it on the other end of their computer and do what I tell them to do and it comes out well, it's just, it's just great. It's just great. And I love what you're saying about you're only with you in that moment for yes. that class, for that hour. Yes. That is such a beautiful thing that that mindfulness we we are in, we are truly present. We are truly in the moment. And oh gosh, this this world we live in is so full of chaos. And we tend to be in the past, worrying about the past or thinking about the past or upset about the past or worrying about the future, yes. which isn't here. The past is done. You can't change it. The, future's not here yet. So finding ways to be fully present in that moment, it's just good for our soul. It is, it is. And I I can't stress enough that I uh, just even doing, it's definitely not art therapy. I'm not, I'm not certified in art therapy by any means, but I submit that anybody can try it and do it and enjoy it. And there's a couple groups. I'm going to probably start working for care first, but I also work for health fairs plus, and I do these art classes where it's mindful drawing for 30 Mm. minutes and like a lunch break. Right. And it's so nice to see them sit there and just scribble on their paper, draw something out because again, they can't think of anything, but what I'm teaching them at that point. And when they allow me the time, they come back recharged and ready for their day. And they they are looking at their day totally differently because they're like, who who sits and paints or draws? Not very many people, right? We don't take the time. Don't take the time, but it's a gift. And if I can give them this gift of art and creating, they are tapping into the other side of their brain that they're not using very often. And neuroplasticity and all this stuff, all these new neurons start firing and they're energized for a scientific reason. It's not just having a good time. Your brain is actually activated in a different way, which to me is very compelling and um, a good reason right there to help. And that's why they teach uh, that's why they teach um, art to Alzheimer's patients because they're they're getting their brain to focus in a different way than they are. Right. So if someone wants to take your class, do they? Yeah. Can they come in with absolutely no experience? And and do you take people that say I can't draw, I can't paint, but I'd like to take your class. <laughs> It's the people that can't draw or paint that I love. Okay, um, that would be I, me. Honestly, yeah, no, that's what I love because a lot of times I find students are intimidated by a mm-hmm. white canvas. Mm-hmm. They they look at it and they're like, I'm going to make a mistake. And that's what I love so much. I, I Some people, some viewers might remember Bob Ross, but I teach in the Bob Ross way. 
in that there are no mistakes. Um, even last night I was teaching a class and, you know, I, I got something on my thing and it's, well, we're just going to put a branch there. It's fine. <laughs> right. it's, it's not a big deal. Let it mm-hmm. roll. Mm-hmm. We're all type B's when it comes to our artwork in our, in our group. But yes, so it's uh, join Creative Kickstart if they want to do a trial class. They can just log in there. So uh, tell them how to get to your website. Sure. So I've I've got www.joincreativekickstart.com if they're interested in classes. If they'd like to see the artwork I do for homeowners and for interior designers, real estate agents, all that sort of stuff where I I paint, it's jillperlaart.com. And I'll be putting this in the show notes. And Jill has been so kind to offer a 30-day free trial of her Creative Quick Start Art Club. And all you have to do is contact Jill, either email her or through her website and tell her that you listen to this podcast, Unbreakable Spirit, or you can mention my name, Jennifer Seven, and you'll get that 30 days. So Jill, if they do the 30 days or that they just sign up for your classes in general, do you tell them what kind of supplies they need or everything? So everything. Okay. There's a very, it's a very simple supply list that they want to start out with something small. And then they, I find, um, the simpler, the better. Start out with a little canvas, a couple little brushes and a few paints and just get get your feet wet. And then you can just add to it as you go, because once you start, you'll get hooked. I think we should say it's just get your brush wet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We should say that. But I like that because it makes it like so intimidating. It's like, we just get a few things and we'll play. It's just like play, right? You're going to play. I'm all, if, if I'm not having fun, it's not going to happen. It's all about play and fun and lightness with me. There's, yeah, we don't like heavy in this group. We like fun. Oh, I think that is so awesome. So I encourage listeners, give this a try, get your family involved, your friends. It just sounds like so much fun. And when you go to her website, she's got some videos. You can see some of the, the yeah. group activities uh, that were in person and you can see her art and it's just amazing and beautiful. And wow, what a story, Jill. I, I am so thankful that you shared this story with me. You really had a interesting background and upbringing and, and where you took it all to where you are now is, is amazing. And it's, it's that unbreakable spirit. I love it. I love it. Well, I appreciate it. It's been such a joy to be on this, this podcast with you, Jennifer. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. And thank you listeners. Again, check out the show notes. We'll have all of Jill's contact information and get yourself signed up for a class and let us know how it goes. Jill, thank you again and have an absolutely wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Unbreakable Spirit. To learn more about Jennifer and her holistic weight loss approach, visit her website at sevencompany.com. That's the number seven, company.com. And please join us for our next episode where we'll hear from more women who overcame hardship and learned how to thrive.